Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Metta Hour with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network and features interviews with the top leaders, teachers, and thinkers of the mindfulness movement and beyond. For more information, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg. I'm speaking today with Leslie Simon Jones. Leslie is a professional dancer, yoga instructor, wellness coach, public speaker, and community activist. She's the founder of AfroFlow Yoga, connecting African spirituality, yogic principles, the intrinsic expression of movement through nature's elements, and a transformational journey throughout Africa and the Caribbean. She completed her BA in interdisciplinary studies in health sciences and dance at SUNY New York City, and has had the opportunity to study and train with world-renowned masters of dance, yoga, and spirituality. 
Leslie is also a co-creator and faculty member for the annual Omega Women's Leadership Intensive and at the Omega Women's Leadership Center, where we've talked together many times. Welcome to the Meta Hour, Leslie. Thank you, Sharon. It's such an honor to be in conversation with you. Well, it's really a delight to talk to you. So for uh, anybody who may not know you, tell me a little bit about your journey on the path as a seeker, as a practitioner, and as a teacher. Sure. So um, I was born in Toronto, Canada, and I, I like to say I come from an extremely multicultural family. So my uh, three of my grandparents were Jamaican descent, and the only grandparent I knew was my Scottish, Irish, very fiery grandmother, mm-hmm. Violet Bell. <laughs> and uh, I grew up in a, a predominantly Jewish neighborhood, and I went to Black Heritage on the weekends, and I also um, uh, grew up Anglican. So multifaceted, and um, my my background, my mother, uh, she's still with us, and she is a human rights activist, and uh, women's, uh, she was from the women's lib movement, so she did a lot uh, with um, women's rights and civil rights, and then my father, uh, he passed in 2005, had been orphaned at the age of six, and uh, during segregation, uh, had a vision to become a doctor, and so he became a surgeon through a lot of will and a lot of uh, hard work, and he was a pioneer in gastric bypass surgery. Um, and so I grew up with being very aware of health and wellness, uh, working at my dad's office when I was a teenager working with his patients, and then also being an agent of change. So my mother became a uh, city councillor, one of the first black women uh, city councillors in Canada, and I also worked in her office. So combining all of that and um, (laughs) having a background in dance since I was seven, I went to pursue a career at Alvin Ailey in back in 91 and came to yoga and and that was the requirement Alvin Ailey was such a visionary he he required his dancers to practice yoga and um and so that's part of the journey we will allow it to unfold as we continue our conversation <laughs> <laughs> And how did you first encounter meditation? So I had an aunt, her name was Stavella Concepcion, and she was a clairvoyant and an astrologist. And when I was growing up, she taught me about the power of the mind and creative visualization and all kinds of interesting things. And I think she'd given me several books. I think one of the books was creative visualization. And I just, first of all, I remember when I was a little girl, really little, maybe seven years old during nap time or six, and I'd lie in bed during the afternoon. I'd see shapes. I'd see triangles and squares. and, And I really believe that was the beginning of my meditation practice. And then when I was 18, uh, I, picked up a candle, and I'm not sure if it's because of the book that I was reading. I was reading Back to Eden. I was reading uh, 
Living, Loving, and Learning by Leo Biscaglia and all kinds of books. But I had the idea to take a candle and stare at the candle and visualize and close my eyes and see if I could still see the the light. Mm. And I'd do that until it would dissipate. And then I'd open my eyes again and look at the candle and breathe and close my eyes. So that's the first, my first recollection of coming into meditation. And then later I had fantastic teachers. And yeah. It's so great. And um, tell us about Afro Flow Yoga, which you founded in 2008. Yeah. So Afro Flow Yoga. Uh, going back to um, when I went to Alvin Ailey and I pursued my career, I was working in, in um, I opened a studio in New York, uh, and I had clients come to me daily, uh, did holistic personal training, wellness coaching, and I met my husband in 94, Jeff Jones, and he's from Boston, and um, we got married in 96. And three of our grand, three of our parents rather passed away. And what was so fascinating about Jeff is that his his family had a deep ancestry because uh, in the U.S., people who had been enslaved, they were inventories, so they can trace back. Mm. And on my side, in Jamaica, the Caribbean didn't really keep the records, but I had, of course, my Scottish Irish roots that had a book that was so thick which with everyone's names and all the history. So we traveled throughout West Africa because we wanted to learn more about our ancestry. So that was in 2007. And at the time I was teaching Afro-Caribbean dance and yoga separately. And uh, we went to West Africa. We went to Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Togo, Benin. And we visited the slave they're called castles, but they're really dungeons. And we learned there the methodologies of the dehumanization process of these incredible African people who weren't slaves, but they had been enslaved. And from there, I had a two-year healing journey. I'm highly empathetic. So I, you know, when a client would come into, when I first started working with people, like they come in for a session and they'd have a headache and I'd, they'd leave and I'd have their headache and, mm. <laughs> and they'd feel great. So I couldn't do that anymore. So uh, so um, I had to do a lot of healing work on myself. So I went throughout, um, I went throughout uh, Haiti and Jamaica and ended up connecting with my ancestral and with my ancestors on a different level, obviously not in the physical plane, but I, began to receive messages, and I was invited in 2008 to teach uh, Afro-Caribbean dance and yoga at the Ross Spirit Festival in Sedona, Arizona. And I remember in one of my meditations, the message came very clearly to me, uh, Afro-Flow Yoga, Afro-Flow Yoga, and the, the, the ideas to combine the teachings of the African diaspora with the dance and the music that had been intrinsic to the survival of, of people who've been dehumanized, along with um, the yogic practices. And so that's what I did. I um, taught it, and it was like this incredible um, moment of, uh, I think there was a tiki torch that lit fire. It was on full mm-hmm. moon. It was like <laughs> on the vortex in Arizona and the mountains. 
and then uh, did a lot of deep study into the uh, connection of yoga in Africa and ancient Egypt and ancient Kemet. Yeah. So you'd already studied dance for, was it like three years at Alvin Ailey School? Yes, yes. From 91 to 93, I had been training since I was seven and then um, came to Ailey and then I went to London Contemporary. I had a scholarship in London and then I came back and did more training and then expanded. I'm an, uh, quite an expander, so I started doing more community activism and I wanted to apply um, some of the practices that I've learned in inner city with some of the youth and um, underserved communities. Uh, so that's where my mother's teachings came in mm-hmm. as a community activist. I'm just so curious because, you know, uh, one of the stories I tell is that I often teach walking meditation, and it's not uncommon for people to to not be able to feel their feet against the ground till they actually look down. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, f- something going on down there, feet. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, so you had such a, a long background in being in touch with your body and embodied, and 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 now you're teaching yoga to mm-hmm. a population which may not feel such a natural connection to the body. So I imagine it's both difficult and like an awakening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so um, such a great point, Sharon. Um, you know, after working with many different populations and women and people who've been uh, severely traumatized, Mm -hmm. there's definitely um, a disconnect. So I've noticed from the, from the neck down and, um, and so sometimes it does, it takes some time to begin to uh, go into the body and notice the sensations and and uh, and see what arises from there. So I like to meet people where they are. We're all on different levels and different. We have different sensations that come up. Um, so the breath. We start with the breath. And as you do such a great job teaching this, um, I actually re- recall one of your stories. And forgive me if I'm. You could you could correct me if I'm wrong. No, they all become everybody's stories. <laughs> However, you okay. tell it is fine. When you were in India, I think when you you I remember you telling a story when you first got to India, and I think it focused. Your one of your teachers said. Focus on the breath, mm-hmm. and you were like, "Oh, that's so easy," and then yeah, yeah. realize it's not so easy. Yeah. And that's similar to the sensations in the body, right? So um, it can take time. And I'm still discovering so many sensations in the body and different layers of sensations and uh, things that get lodged in the body, like stories. So when I was uh, dancing in New York um, at Ailey, there was a... I don't know if you've heard of rolfing. Yeah, Have you sure. heard of rolfing? Uh-huh. Yeah. I've been so rolfed. Was, oh, you've been <laughs> rolfed, so you can relate. So yeah. um, so for people who are listening, um, rolfing is going into the deep myofascial tissue and uh, releasing some of the um, 
you know, blockages that are in the myofascial tissue. So there was a the first black rolfer in the world who came through Alvin Ailey, and he had never worked on a woman of color before. So I became his muse. So, you know, as you know, there's 10 sessions. They start with the feet and they go all the way up the body. I can and, feel the pain. It's no, describing it. Is, it. It's like, oh, that hurts. It is quite a pain. This is where the practice of breath is very essential. It can be really helpful. So I remember there was a time when he got to my solar plexus, oh, God. right <laughs> below my rib cage. And when he touched it, I shrieked. It's like I almost hopped off the table. And one of the things he had me do was keep a journal about like what comes up, what came up in the session. And when he touched my solar plexus, I remembered a story from when I was about 10 years old and I was riding my bicycle with my best friend, Lizzie Black. She was like riding down the street and she'd always, we were like Gilligan and the skipper. (laughs) (laughs) So somehow she 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 slammed on her brakes with that like prematurely, <laughs> and I hit the back of her bike. I went flying over my handlebars mm. and landed on her handlebar, my solar plexus. Oh wow! And I had forgotten that story. It wasn't until that that body work that uh, touched that that trauma, and I, I was like, holy! I forgot about that. And so as I was doing the rolling process, I was able to release it and mm-hmm. let it go. And then now I can touch the solar plexus with no problem. But that's an example of how, like, um, sometimes the sensations in the body um, can be, you know, it, it, it's like we can touch that, that pain and sometimes we don't want to go there. This is where mm-hmm. yoga is really helpful. The breathing is helpful to notice what comes up and, and maybe not judge it, but just mm-hmm. notice what comes up. Sometimes the stories come, and then you know, thank you. I was very grateful for the body holding that information, and then I was re- able to let it go. Um, yeah. Well, well, I think the the non judging part is also kind of difficult often, and it's wonderful and it's essential. But I mean, in uh, kind of many hatha yoga systems where there is a way to move your body, there's a position, there's a posture that, you know, in the asana that you're supposed to take and maybe you're not close, you know. Um, I can remember doing a yoga retreat with somebody once and everyone, and maybe there were like 35 of us in the retreat and everybody except for me was very proficient in yoga and knew all the Sanskrit names for everything and the teacher was demonstrating a pose one day, uh-huh. and he right in the middle of the demonstration, he made this kind of little funny movement, and then he, he went on. So then he got out of the pose, and he said to everybody, what just happened there? So everybody kind of responded in Sanskrit, like, well, you did a little bit of this asana, and then you went into that asana. And then, so then he looked at me, and he said, what happened there? And I said, I think you fell. And he said, you're right, I fell. And then I started over. He said, that's good yoga. You know, it's about a spirit. It's not about a a perfect look. That's right. Exactly. You know, so that seems such an essential component of an approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially, you know, just, 
it's really important um, to remember it's a practice. It's not a perfection. Mm-hmm. We meet like meeting ourselves where we are. And, um, and, and if it was about perfection, then nobody would do it. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So, right. And, um, and so I find this, this, this approach is essential when working with everybody and particularly, um, people who've been, um, traumatized mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. underserved. I mean, it's like we, I've had, uh, students who, a student who is uh, blind, yeah, and she's she's about I don't know it doesn't matter her age, but she has. I remember when she first came to class, and we had about thirty people in the class, and and she was yeah. You know, we were, I was guiding people, and the people were on a chair or on the floor, however they needed to be comfortable and needed to wherever their starting place was, and so. Sometimes I would say, oh, oh, Linda, you know, this is great. You know, people, you know, follow Linda. Her arm is, you know, this way or something like that. And at the end, someone ran up to me. You know, she's blind. And I said, yes. And mm-hmm. you know, she has a, a body. She's breath. She has a, mm-hmm. all of these things. So, so it's just interesting um, the perceptions that we put on these, on, on, on what is yoga, how are we supposed to look, how are we supposed to approach it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have another student who I remember, she's been coming for years at a trauma healing program that we're doing, and she comes always on time or early, and she sits in the chair, and she breathes, and she does what she can. And she does very little movement, and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. She's getting what she, you know. She's getting what she needs, and she shows up. And it, it's it's been really helpful to her. She started. She we never even knew if you know her voice. We never heard her voice, and so after a couple of years, she's now open and talking, and there's mm. a whole other transformations that's that's happened with her, an opening that's happened with her. So it's beautiful. Well, these days, you know, uh, one hears about things like trauma-informed yoga or trauma-sensitive meditation. And um, it would seem that, especially working in those communities, uh, you become aware very quickly (laughs) that there are particular needs and there's, there's a great body of suffering and that it it needs one needs to be sensitive to that and um really be adapting you know and and creative just like you know so affirming the story you just told like uh showing up can be a lot yeah for a lot of people yeah absolutely absolutely and i'm also really mindful of uh, so my husband and i uh, Jeff and I work up in uh, northern Canada uh, in with the indigenous youth mm-hmm. who have been so they're high school students and they have to be flown in to attend high school because in on the reservation mm. there's no school system so you know the history with the history of the indigenous people in Canada and here they've you know, been separated from their families and taken away. So it's, again, this whole story to get 
to receive an education. So we've been working with them. And I remember the first time going in, I'm so mindful of not imposing my ways. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's such a practice of listening and learning and collaborating. <laughs> you know, so, um, so, uh, it, the intersection, it's interesting because there's a lot of uh, Christianity that's imposed as well. Um, and so the indigenous teachings, uh, the facilitator who's indigenous, she had to be really mindful of bringing in some of the uh, teachings of the elders, like how to work with the earth. And and so it's just, it, it just requires... Um, the breath and taking time and not rushing the process and meeting people where they're at and humility. Mm -hmm. Do you work with caregivers also? I'm I'm curious, you know, whether it's teachers or um, healthcare professionals or uh, first responders. Yeah. So many of uh, the people who are, are, who come to our circles are caregivers, mm-hmm. um, and it's essential. You know, uh, we have a, a lot of clients who are nurses and doctors, and and um, and also social workers and people who don't often have the space or carve the time out for their own practice. And, uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's something I, I mean, I've been a caregiver, so I, mm-hmm. I can relate and my family, I think many, you know, it's something that's part of the life cycle yeah. where we can become caregivers ourselves. And oftentimes we forget to give back. And I think that's one of the greatest lessons I've learned from my mom, who's a, who was also a nurse. And so she was in the medical field and then also caregiver of the community and a caregiver of her kids, her four kids and my dad when he had dementia. And one thing I learned from her is she always filled her well, Mm -hmm. always. And she still does. And it always amazed me how I, I, I really have not seen my mom depleted with all that she gives still. She Mm. gives, 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 she always makes sure she fills her well. And so I, when I remember when we were little and my parents used to go on vacation and, and it wasn't until I was an adult. I, and because I've worked with so many women who say, Oh, I can't go on a vacation or men too. I can't, I can't mostly women. I can't leave my Mm -hmm. children. I can't leave my family. And, and so I asked my mom, I said, did you ever feel guilty for leaving your four kids and going on vacation? And she said, Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) My kids. (laughs) Yes. And it was so good for us. We loved it because they'd come back and, you know, they'd come back all fresh and we Mm -hmm. had someone new and it was like this uh, renewing of energy and she was filled and we got filled. Yeah. So it was great modeling. When you say that, it makes me think about the cycles of nature that Mm -hmm. um, there's something about well, cycles and, you know, expression and then return. And um, that seems a part of nature and should be a part of us. 
yeah. and the way we live our lives. Exactly, exactly. Nature is such a great teacher in that sense, really. Um, yeah, and and the, the, so I've been after going to West Africa and really doing a lot of deep inquiry around uh, a lot of the traditions of the African diaspora mm-hmm. pre uh, the transatlantic slave trade after 400 years, and part of that was like the uh, part of the dehumanization process was to disconnect people from their spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the spiritual practices were rooted in nature and and working with the cycles, whether it was like coming into a sacred, uh, a sacred relationship with your community or with your food or with the, the different seasons. Um, and so it's been really uh, fascinating to bring in a lot of the, the, the practices and and I feel like today it's it's an exciting time as we're you know I know there's a lot of uh, division it this is a wonderful time to reflect on the interconnection as well to nature to the breath to the cosmos to to all of it and then none of it, you know, like uh, the, the fluidity. And um, I think about, uh, I think about the, uh, the, the, the galaxies, like when it comes to motion and sound, uh, we, which we bring into Afroflow yoga. I think about uh, how the, the, the stars and the galaxies are in motion. So it's like a, a fluid, a, a dance, not, not being stagnant. And I had a friend who was an astrophysicist and she studied the sound of planets and the vibrational sound. And she said, every sound, every planet has its own vibration and its own sound, which makes me think of music. Mm. And so it's like, yeah, the universe, there's, Music and dance, motion and sound um, that's within us and around us. So music has a big role to play in Afroflow Yoga, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Jeff, my husband, is he comes from a lineage of musicians. He's, uh, we met on a plane back in, in 94, he was on a sabbatical. He's an engineer, but he was went also just came back from India, and he he's a bass player, and um, now he brings eleven different instruments into Afroflow Yoga. Mm. But his his father was a bass player. He used to play with Billy Holiday and Sammy Davis Jr. Mm. And his mother was a cultural soprano, and his grandfather was like uh, a pianist, and his grandmother. So it goes back, way back, way, way, way back. And so he brings in that lineage of music, and and so it's so interesting. Um, every he, he he's opened up to all of these different instruments. So I had no idea we'd been married for twelve years, and and uh, when I yeah when Afroflow Yoga came through, he was like, oh, you have to have live music at every class. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that's that's great. But like, who's going to play? the live music all the time. He says, I will play the live music. Mm. And then they brought out the bongos and the congos and the djembe, mm-hmm. and the, like the chimes and all of these things. And turned out 
um, he had been playing these instruments since he was a little boy. So with every instrument, he um, connects them to the different chakra systems. So the, you know, the lower tones or the, like the, the bass and the drum are connected to the lower chakras. And then the, the higher notes, the higher vibration, like the chimes connect to the upper. And so it's a real journey. Um, you know, people come in from different places and some people are, are more in tune to audible sensations and, some people are more tuned into visual sensations or so the music has been a really important part to help open people up to uh, sinking in and into this journey of inquiry, self-inquiry and the practice of non-judgment. And I say practice because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's hard. It's not easy. Uh, so there's always a reminder and into the breath. Well, speaking of lineage, do you, um, do you kind of train people to carry it forward? The, the body of knowledge that is now Afroflow yoga. Yeah. So, so I do have uh, training. I have uh, four modules of training. And the first module is great for anyone. Uh, and it's, it, it's, a, it's a module of interconnection. Um, and so we look into uh, the connections of the roots of yoga in Africa. And, and then we look into um, the different various practices and and also how music and dance was a way like different rhythms so when people had been um taken from you know it's really it was really an initiation going through the middle passage and many people didn't survive but what did survive were the rhythms and the dances so that was a way for people to communicate because many people weren't allowed to communicate because they were separated by tribe or by mm-hmm. language. And because if they communicated, then they would conspire for freedom. So um, the various rhythms uh, on the plantations, people would communicate through the drumming. And, and that's, how the, uh, that's how people survived. And then also through the dances. And it was actually so beautiful because... Uh, there were so many different um, dances that were brought over, whether it was dances that celebrated um, union of, of people or celebrated the rain or celebrated um, abundance in the crops or whatever it was. Um, this is the way that people communicated. And so now when you go throughout the diaspora, you have in Brazil and Cuba and Jamaica and Haiti and Dominican Republic, you have these rhythms that help unite um, people. And also uh, it's been really amazing to see how it helps awaken the wisdom and knowledge within that within the cells that have maybe been inherited and disconnected and through this awakening becomes 
um, a liberation in a sense. So we teach that. And then also in the first module, it's about Sangha and community and healing and, you know, bringing us together and celebrating all of our roots. Um, again, from my beginnings, I grew up, growing up in Toronto, there was more of a celebration as, as thing, seeing different roots of the cultural mosaic as opposed to a melting pot. So there's many flowers in the garden. So looking at the way we can, you know, we're all, all different and yet there's a interconnection. Mm. That's very beautiful. And do you, do you have people, um, do people kind of create anew these modules, like as they teach, as they're carrying it forward? Are there new elements coming in all of the time? Yeah, that's a great question. So people bring, we have, um, within the Afroflow Yoga, we have a, a sequence, and then people bring themselves to the sequence. And in and, and every circle, it's Although the, we have the, a similar sequence, it's always so new and fresh because it's a collaboration mm-hmm. of of energy. And again, um, we're really not. Uh, I'm really mindful and careful in leading people in a in a way where it's not going to be harmful. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. nothing too fancy. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, as as a dancer coming from Alvin Ailey, I'm not doing Alvin Ailey moves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keeping things very simple mm-hmm. and basic is usually um you know my preference so that people can find their way and find their body wisdom. Um, find their wisdom, and, and so uh, so when people come and they're uh, facilitating and leading, they're bringing um, they might be bringing their also some things from their lineage forward, which is mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of my strongest memories of your work at the Women's Leadership Intensive had to do with um, basically telling a story through your body. Mm-hmm. And you would you would be recounting the narrative, and we would be moving. Mm-hmm. And of course, the story became our own story mm-hmm. as as we were doing it, because that was the instrument that we had was was our own experience coming out through the form of that movement. Yeah. And so everybody, I think, had a very powerful experience, and everybody had a different experience. Mm-hmm. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that um, that embodied storytelling is really, uh, that is, it really brought that forward from the, uh, from the, some of the wisdoms of the African diaspora that had been lost because storytelling and story sharing is such a huge part of like the oral tradition mm-hmm. and then also the embodied you know, through through embodiment. Um, so, and then again, it's really the invitation to notice what shows up for the individual. Yeah, you because know, that's that's where the nourishment is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not imposing my my way onto you, but really uh, encouraging your wisdom to come forward. Yeah. So it seems like ultimately it's all about connection, right? Connecting yes. 
to your body, to your ancestry, to one another, just this powerful, powerful tool for, tool for connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then also, it's so interesting, and this is something that I've been, you know, I'll, I'll work on for a lifetime is mm. the practice of non-judgment. Right. <laughs> it's always so, so interesting um, to notice when those judgments do come up uh, when you're with yourself mm-hmm. and uh, with others. And so, so coming into community is not, it's not always easy uh, because mm-hmm. we're coming from, different places and to give that spaciousness to, um, to practice that non-judgment is, is really, I feel it has been really helpful to give people a little more freedom, a little more liberation, um, to, to go deeper in the deeper within without, um, having that anxiety, uh, and then keep coming to the breath. Keep coming back to the breath. Yeah. Like, for example, we have a lot of people who say, oh, I'll come to Afroflow when I'm in shape. Mm-hmm. Or they'll say, um, or they'll say, oh, oh, I, you know, I'm really, I'm really nervous. And that's natural. And so many people come and they're not sure what to expect. And they say, I, I'll, I'm only going to sit on the chair, which is fine. Um, and they end up doing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they're shocked <laughs> how mm-hmm. much they've, they've done because the invitation is always there to, to check in and take one step forward or sideways, whichever, and take a moment to check in. If it doesn't feel right, it's okay. Come back to breath. And um, so, so I I have a cousin who I've been. I, she's um, I grew up with. She's indigenous, and she we took ballet together, and and um, and so now we work together, and we're in our fifties, and we come back together, and in such a beautiful way. And for years, she was so resistant to coming into any kind of group classes or anything. And so one day I invited her to come in and uh, share a teaching at the beginning, one of her, from her, you know, her indigenous teachings at the beginning of the class. And she says, okay, I'm, and I'm just going to stay just for the teaching, just for five minutes. And, and the next thing you know, she did the whole class <laughs> and then she did the next, <laughs> she did the whole second class. So she did two classes in a row and she loved it. And so she's now actually doing ballet again. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and so, so it's, it's, I call it the gateway like for many people to come in to and, and feel just uh, coming into a loving environment, um, is essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you travel and, and teach these workshops in quite a number of places? Yes. Yes, we do. So um, we travel a lot. We, <laughs> <laughs> not quite as much as you, but we tra- We do travel a lot. Um, so in terms of out of the country, we've 
uh, been to the Caribbean several times to Jamaica, which was wonderful to take it back to where my ancestors are from. So we've taken it to Jamaica and to Bali and to um, Canada and all throughout um, so different places in the Caribbean and throughout the U.S. And we have someone who's now teaching it. So we have a teacher training program, and Mm -hmm. she's wonderful. She's in Israel, and she is of Ethiopian descent, and she is teaching it in Demona, in Tel Aviv. Wow. And it and and she's gotten so much. They did a little documentary on it and on her, and so it's been uh, really interesting to take it to Israel. So we've been invited there, and next year we're invited um, to Israel and to um, the Ukraine and back to Bali and to various places. And then we have and to Belize as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but we're right here in Boston and yeah. we're in New York. <laughs> we're in New York as well and at Alvinelli. So that came full circle. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And so we've had classes at Alvinelli for the past eight years in, in Boston here. And we also have, we do a lot of private sessions and universities and schools. We, right now, my husband and I are working with 40 kids. Uh, weekly, and it's there. It's such a teaching having forty kids um, come onto the mats in a circle, <laughs> and uh, and the first thing they want to do is they want to meditate, and they're about five years old to twelve. Oh, <laughs> they they are so they are like sponges. They're so excited to sit and um, and and then move, and of course. You know, it takes time, but they, they're they're wanting, they're really wanting the the practice. Um, so it's it's exciting to see that, and a lot of these kids are kids who are coming from different cultural backgrounds and who are underserved. It's in a building that actually is going to be demolished soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so the conditions in the building, there's mold, you know, it's not a great, great conditions, but when we're, when we go into places where the conditions exteriorly aren't good, we, uh, aspire to create conditions internally. And so they have tools that they can take anywhere. Mm-hmm. We have kids that we work with in, um, areas that there's a lot of gang violence and to tell them to go outside and play or ride a bike it's not safe. Mm-hmm. So uh, to create the the safety in internally, where they can they can be portable, they can take the breath, they can take the embodied practice anywhere. That's fantastic. So I'm wondering if just to close, you can lead us in in a practice. Sure. All right. So. I am thinking that um, since we're talking about the body, maybe we'll do a little embodied practice and an awakening and then do a sit. And so 
I invite you into a comfortable seated position. Whether your legs are crossed or if you're seated in a chair. Finding your feet connected to the floor, to the earth, or to a pillow. And feeling your spine, the connection of your spine or your sitting bones. And feeling your spine. There's energy in your spine, but not over erect, but just feeling a nice, long, gentle spine. Shoulders softening and noticing any tension in your shoulders, in your jaw, your eyes. And as you begin to rest in your posture that's comfortable to you, noticing your breath, you into a body scan starting from the top of your head noticing any sensations top of your head into your eyes resting your eyes deep in your eye sockets relaxing your jaw Softening your lips, your tongue, your shoulders, as you travel down your spine, your heart, your belly softening. to feel the weight of your bones as you bring the awareness to your sitting bones and noticing your body your legs your knees and your feet Deep connection to the earth. To the nourishment and the wisdom of the earth, the root system. Traveling all the way back into your feet. to your knees, to your thighs, your sitting bones, the floor of your pelvis, that nourishment traveling all the way up into your belly, your solar plexus, your heart, your throat, and your mouth. 
your nose and your eyes and your third eye up to the crown of your head. Standing all the way up into the stars. Connecting to your higher truth. Bring that energy back down to the crown, the third eye, your nose, your mouth. Your throat and resting into your heart. Space is compassion. Resting the awareness back onto your breath. The moment you find yourself wandering from your breath, gently Coming back to the breath. And gently coming back to the rise and fall or up and flow of the breath. I invite you to bring your palms together and begin to gently rub your palms together, generating a little heat, a little sensation of heat. And with the heat of your hands, placing them anywhere. You feel the sensation strongest in your body. Take some deep breaths. And then feels right to you to bring your hands again and rub your hands, generating a little heat. Maybe it might feel good on your neck and shoulders or your head or anywhere. There's a little love, a little compassion. Breathe, taking four breaths.
And then if you're ready at your own pace, one more time, rubbing your hands vigorously, generating a little heat. I invite you to place one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly. into breath. I invite you into a place of gratitude. Thank you so much. It was really beautiful. And thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Sharon. It's my honor. Oh, thanks. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about Leslie's work, you can check out her website at www.afroflowyoga.com. Thanks to all of you who are listening. This has been the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be happy, be healthy, and live with ease. Hey folks, thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalzberg.com.